Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you or your team members are processing requests that you receive via email to change vendor banking, please register for my free webinar, Protecting Vendor Bank Details When You Receive Changes Via Email, Beyond the Phone Call. That webinar will be on Wednesday, April 29th, starting at 10 a.m. Central Time. It will be live. But if you are listening to this podcast after that time, the recording will be available as well. Go to www.debrarrichardson.com slash webinars for more information on this and future webinars. As of the recording of this podcast, the third week of April, the world is still in varying stages of the global coronavirus pandemic and shelter-in-place requirements. Many companies and their AP teams were abruptly sent home to work whether the company or the employee was prepared to deal with, among other things, the increased cybersecurity risks. So if you and your company fall into that category, keep listening. Welcome to episode 80, the NIST framework free guidance to manage and reduce cybersecurity risk. Today, we are talking about NIST, N-I-S-T. And NIST is a framework. It is voluntary guidance based on existing standards, guidelines, and practices for organizations to better manage and reduce cybersecurity risk. In addition to helping organizations manage and reduce risk, It was designed to foster risk and cybersecurity management communications amongst both internal and external organization stakeholders. And this topic is very timely now as of the taping of this podcast episode because we are in the middle of a shelter in place in the U.S. and many employees are working from home, which will no doubt trigger additional reviews and revisions to organizational security and business continuity plans now and when those employees return to work. Today, I have with me Corrine Jackman, and Corrine is currently a student at the University of Maryland Global Campus, majoring in cybersecurity management and policy with a minor in terrorism and critical infrastructure. She'll be graduating December 2020. 
and she has a background in electronic funds transfer, online banking, payment systems, point of sale, training, public speaking, payroll, accounts receivable and accounts payable, benefits administration, social media marketing, and public relations. So welcome, Kareen. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for having me on today. So I gave a brief introduction, but you want to talk a little bit about your background and, and kind of what brought you to cybersecurity? Well, that's an interesting question. What brought me to cybersecurity is a long, long time interest in computers dating back from when I was with uh, the most ATM network. Uh, we were the fifth largest ATM network in the nation at the time. Okay. And now we don't have local ATM networks. We are just working off of MasterCard and Visa. Mm -hmm. which is fine at, that the consolidation doesn't hurt. But after I took time off to raise my two boys, I decided it was time to re-enter the workforce. And I chose cybersecurity because, as I said, my long cultivated interest in computer technology. So I took on the minor in terrorism and critical infrastructure because of the threat of cyber warfare and its potential impact on our everyday lives. And when we talk about critical infrastructure, we're not just talking about bridges and roadways and electricity. We're also talking about the financial sector. Um, that, that's one of the 16 critical infrastructure sectors, and it plays a, a huge part in our lives every day. Every business has a financial aspect to it, and that's why we're here today uh, discussing the risks to companies with AR and AP. To that end, then, let's talk about NIST Purpose, N-I-S-T, and it's an acronym. And if you could give us an explanation of that and where NIST came from and are companies, you know, actually using it to reduce cybersecurity risk? Sure. So NIST is the National Institute for Standards and Technology, and it was established in 1901 during the height of the Industrial Revolution as a means to ensuring the United States maintained the, the ability to compete with other countries, both economically and technologically. And as a part of the Department of Commerce, NIST is tasked with developing standards that inform all 16 critical infrastructure sectors. And its programs cover everything from atomic power to computer science to earthquake-resistant skyscrapers. Wow. So the framework we're discussing today is actually called the NIST Framework for Improving Critical Infrastructure Cybersecurity. And it applies to all 16 sectors of critical infrastructure. The impetus for NIST developing this standard was an executive order 13636, Improving Critical Infrastructure Cybersecurity, that was signed by President Obama in February of 2013. Section 7 of the order gave NIST the authority to develop the framework in a way that would allow businesses to align policy, business, and technological approaches to tackle cybersecurity. And the goal in using the framework is to take an agile approach that prioritizes risk, it's flexible, can be used over and over, that it can be reviewed and revised based on how the policy performs in a real world scenario and provides the cost efficient or effective means of securing the infrastructure. And the point of any security policy should be to enhance security without impeding business function and the framework assists businesses in developing just such a plan. So because the standards are voluntary and nearly all 16 sectors of uh, critical infrastructure are composed of private enterprise, it's difficult to know for certain how many businesses have de deployed the framework to develop their cybersecurity programs as the reporting is also voluntary. But that said, there's been some research done to determine how many businesses are putting the guidance to use. 
For example, Gartner research revealed that as of 2015, approximately 30% of businesses in the US had adopted the framework and they projected that number would increase to 50% by 2020. And that number may seem small, but it's important to remember the framework is a voluntary standard and many organizations may not realize how it would successfully translate to their business. And there are, however, strides being made in promoting that widespread adoption. For example, the National Restaurant Association has produced a training guide titled Cybersecurity 101, a toolkit for restaurant operators that explains the framework and assists restaurant operators in adopting a company-wide cybersecurity approach. The association was even partnered with NIST to form a working group to develop an industry-specific framework. And in addition to that, both the US Chamber of Commerce and the Better Business Bureau have adopted campaigns to promote the use of the framework. So hopefully that will have a positive impact and result in an increase in framework adoption. And the NIST standards, especially the cybersecurity framework, also have a significant impact on the international business community and are seen as a valuable resource. So when we're discussing the framework, it's important to emphasize its usefulness as a risk management tool to help a business design, develop, implement, and maintain a security program that protects its assets without impeding business functions. The framework isn't designed to be the protection. It's designed to guide a business through the process of developing a security policy that meets its specific needs, supporting its overall mission and business goals while protecting the business assets and functionality. Wow. So I think it's a good point that the NIST framework identifies that the point of any security policy should be to enhance security without impeding business function, right? And then the framework helps businesses develop a plan that does just that. And I think that piece is important because it means that businesses don't have to be afraid that implementing this plan will somehow hurt their business or impede their business processes when really it's there to help them. And so let's talk about the NIST cybersecurity framework, the five functions of identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. So can you just give us an explanation of what each of those means and then kind of talk about why they are important, why they should be used? Right. That's a great question. And to your point, a lot of the resistance that we get to implementing a cybersecurity program is because they're worried, uh, stakeholders are worried it'll be too cumbersome. Mm -hmm. And if it's too cumbersome, then the staff's not gonna wanna follow through with it. And that's, that's a huge problem. So when we break it down into these five specific frameworks, then people can see how they can adapt that to their company. So it's important to understand what each of these functions mean and how they help an organization secure their assets, both physical and digital. So the five main functions of the framework represent the strategies a business should use to develop a robust security posture that meets their needs. Even though it's a generalized framework, each business should tailor it to meet their own business goals and their own functions. So the five functions we're going to discuss are considered the core of the framework. First, the identify function is designed to help an organization examine their vulnerabilities and then to identify the risks involved in context with their specific business. An organization should start by identifying all of its assets from facilities to equipment to people. It also should identify its supply chain and other relationships. And once a comprehensive list has been identified, the organization needs to identify the vulnerabilities inherited each segment of that list. 
determine the risks involved, and then prioritize those risks from most to least impact on business function. And in this phase, it's also a good idea to examine any policies already in place, such as an asset management policy or any security policies in use or risk management policy to determine the vulnerabilities in those policies. And this function is critical to developing a successful security program. You can't protect what you don't see. So knowing all the components of your business is of paramount importance in designing a program that covers the entire business. Now NIST offers guidance in assessing and managing risk, and that can help businesses understand what risk is, then identify and manage it in the NIST SP 837 Risk Management Framework for Information Systems and Operations, and then with NIST SP 830R1 Guide for Conducting Risk Assessments. And we'll have links to that in the show notes. Great. Okay. So in the PROTECT function, the organization develops the plans and policies to secure the assets and functions identified. And the goal in designing protection is to ensure business functions can continue by limiting the impact of cybersecurity incidents. Basically, what you're trying to do is protect your system by putting into place processes and procedures that reduce vulnerabilities and exposure to threats. And Kareen, just to interject here, that is really where I live. I have authentication techniques, internal controls and best practices, and those are all on the process side. So just to emphasize here with this protect core function that it's not all about IT, it's also about your processes as well. Right. Processes are really, really yeah. important. And yeah. it's also important that when you set them up, that you get the buy-in of your staff. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little later. Sure. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so the next function of the framework is detection, which is the plan the organization will put in place to discover cybersecurity events. And detection involves monitoring networks and systems for activity or traffic out of the ordinary. But I have to emphasize that it also involves, on the non-technical side, monitoring your processes. Yeah. You have to make sure that those processes are still functioning the way you want them to be functioning and that they are detecting any anomalies. This is important because a strong detection plan will greatly reduce the time it takes to discover a breach or an infiltration or in a non-technical sense, uh, some other type of malicious activity. Right. And it's allowing the organization the opportunity to reduce the negative impact on its business. So NIST also has another standard to help with this for the technical side, and that's the NIST SP 894 Guide to Intrusion Detection and Prevention Systems. And that can be used by businesses as a guide to developing their own detection program on the technical side. And the Intrusion Detection Guide breaks down the components and technologies involved in an intrusion and protection system and is a useful resource, especially for organizations attempting to stand up their first program. Right. So once the detection plan is in place, the business should move on to designing a plan for how it will respond to a cybersecurity incident. And NIST also has a standard best practice guide for incident response, which is NIST SP861R2, Computer Security Incident Handling Guide, that will help businesses understand the process in detail and then design a program that meets their specific goals and needs. Incident response planning involves creating a team, assigning specific response tasks, and defining individual position responsibilities. And some larger organizations 
may decide to create a standalone team to respond to incidents, but small and medium-sized enterprises may find it more appropriate or even necessary to create that team within the larger IT staff. And the key here, as with each function within the framework, is to understand and address the specific needs of your organization. When we talk about response, we should be addressing isolating the threat so that it can't spread throughout the network or system, and then taking corrective action to resolve the threat. You can't begin to get back to normal until you've eliminated the cause of the event. And this is exactly when a business would need those activities to work. And that's a good point too, because when I was at a larger organization, we did have a completely separate team that dealt with information security. And so they were the ones that rolled out the different controls and the different processes that we needed to take in order to make sure that we were protecting our company assets. So it was a, a completely separate team, didn't have anything to do with the IT staff. But I will say with some smaller companies, I interviewed interviewed an AP manager and one of the things she pointed out as far as cybersecurity is that even though they also had a separate team, the employees paid more attention when the IT staff that they have been working with for all of their IT and computer needs, when that staff also endorsed it. So while it may be a standalone team, it's still important that you know you get all stakeholders involved and all stakeholder groups supporting the plan because sometimes you never know the motivation behind employees actually following through and doing what's been put into place. Right. So one of the problems for a small business, or I should say issue, is that they may not have the money to have right. a separate staff. So right. that's why uh, it's more effective to have it be part of the IT team. Now, as far as getting that buy-in that we talked about, this is where it's important, like you said, that the employees were more apt to follow along and go along with the program if it was endorsed by IT. Two things there. First, the onus on that is on the executives or the management yeah. staff because they need to make sure that the, all staff understand that there's a cybersecurity team, but they are part of IT. They might f have a separate function, but they're not separate from the team itself. They're, the whole company is a team. Right. So if people are looking at them as separate and, oh, well, if IT isn't going to endorse it, then I'm not going to pay attention, that's a function a failure of management. They really need to make sure that the whole team is functioning as a cohesive unit. So that's number one. Number two, it's also really important that all staff, technical and non-technical, understand that cybersecurity isn't the responsibility of one entity. It's not the responsibility of the cybersecurity team or the IT staff. It's the responsibility of every single person in that company, from the janitors to the chief executive officer. Everyone has a responsibility for cybersecurity, and they should use the tools that they have to make sure that they're maintaining a secure environment. It's called cybersecurity hygiene, uh, and everybody needs to be part of that, not just the IT or cybersecurity team. Yeah, great point. If any listener wants to listen to that episode, it is episode 66 and it's cybersecurity from accounts payable managers view. And from that, she really goes into Kareen exactly, you know, what she did in order to ensure that her employees were following the processes that were put into place. And I think you make a great point that it's really management's responsibility to make sure that it's 
done because the company is one whole team. It's not just the different departments. It's a cohesive team and everyone needs to follow those processes that are put into place. In a larger enterprise, they would have a compliance team. They would have somebody on staff, maybe under the general counsel's office, Mm-hmm. that would oversee governance and compliance because there's a lot of liability issues involved as well. Yeah. But in a smaller group, in a small to medium business, using the framework helps understand the importance of compliance and governments. There's plenty of resources available on the NIST website that help yeah. with that, but it does open the door to the importance of having someone on the team, whether it's in IT or if there's a general counsel or whatever, that is familiar with governance and compliance and can help. Basically, what you need is a policy wonk. You need somebody in there who can develop the policy and so that they can then train the managers on how to govern at their own level. So it should be like a trickle down, ideally, you know. Yes, and thanks, Corrine. So far, you have covered four of the five core functions of the NIST framework. You've covered identify, protect, detect, and respond. And so now we're up to our last one. The last of the five functions of the framework is recover, and it addresses the plans the company will develop to ensure business continuity and the restoration of business functions. And as with the previous functions, NIST has a best practice guide for recovery. It's NIST SP 800-184, Cybersecurity Event Recovery. The businesses should use to develop their own recovery strategy to restore their systems and processes. And this would involve recovering backups to get the business up and running, et cetera. So the framework has been designed to guide every business, no matter its size or industry, in designing a security plan that will meet the specific needs of the business in such a way that the plan successfully enhances security without impeding the business operations and functions. The larger organizations may have people on staff with significant experience standing up a security program, and they may not need a guide. However, every business can benefit from using it, especially small to medium businesses that have little to no experience developing security protocols. And it's a myth that not every business needs a security policy. Every business uses computers and every business has some form of payment system in place and absent significant experience in designing and standing up a security program, the framework will guide the organization through the processes that will help them develop a security program. It's an incredibly valuable tool to use, even if you're a mom and pop business. So I think that's an important point to make that no matter how small you think your company is, if you're using computers, you need to have a security policy in place. So right, that mom and pop needs to have that security policy in place. And so thanks, Karee, for explaining different functions of the NIST cybersecurity framework, the identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. You mentioned that this framework has been around since 2014, but I know that it was revised in 2018. So can you talk about what changed, what was added? Sure. Well, the first iteration of the framework covered the five functions we just discussed. And then in the revised version, the framework was divided into three components, core, tiers, and profile. And the five functions we just discussed are the core. Okay. So in the tier component, businesses are rated according to the extent to which their business 
risk management practices align with the framework. And the tiers range from tier one, which indicates partial alignment, to tier two, risk-informed, tier three, repeatable, uh, to tier four, adaptive, which means that businesses' risk management functions are able to adapt to its changing needs, goals, and environment. Ideally, the goal should be a rigorous approach to risk management that's fully integrated into business functions and decision-making and includes a high level of cybersecurity communication the organization engages in with its external partners that lands an organization in tier four. But each business has to determine for itself where it wants to sit along that spectrum. It's like a system to score itself. Yes, exactly. Or a business to score itself. Okay. Right. And they can decide, like, where they want to be. And, and honestly, you're not going to just come out of the shoot at tier four. Mm -hmm. So you're going to actually progress through in, as you're developing your program. So that also gives them a benchmark. Yeah. Okay. So here we have the first goal of tier one, and then they move forward from that. Okay. So the final component of the framework is the profile, which describes how the organization has aligned its business requirements, its risk appetite and its resources to the desired outcomes of the framework core. And one of the benefits of the profile component is that it allows an organization to see where it may need to make improvements to its cybersecurity posture by optimizing the framework in such a way to maximize its benefits for the organization. So the business determines its current profile and decides on a target profile, then utilizes the framework to make the necessary changes. And this works for companies new to the entire process and for those reevaluating their security protocols. Okay, so they get to evaluate and then score themselves using the tier component. And then with the profile, they identify what their risk appetite is and desired outcomes. So the tier and the profile are really designed to document their criteria and then also to measure where they are. Right. Okay, so I've seen reports that say phishing attempts have increased by 600% because the bad guys know that employees are currently working distracted from home. I mean, they're trying to homeschool kids, they're trying to do work. So what would you say is the best advice for organizations to reduce their cybersecurity risk, especially now using the NIST framework? Well, we do live in interesting times and we are all suddenly remote workers where we weren't before. And so that means a lot of companies weren't prepared for that. Um, maybe some companies didn't allow remote working at all. Yeah. Um, and those who did probably already had some type of plan in place to, to protect their organizations. At least we hope they did. Uh, that's not always the case. Right. So there's several things that need to be done. So let's back that up a little bit and pretend that we're pre-pandemic and we're, we're not working from home yet because that's going to be part of the process to roll something like that out. So let's, let's pretend we're living in a perfect world and we have the opportunity to foresee into the future we may need this functionality. Right. So the first thing, businesses need to accurately identify their risk. So you have to know what you're up against before you can develop a plan to fight it. And to borrow from a time-honored phrase, you can't fix what you don't know is broken. Right. So businesses need to identify all their assets, their functions, and relationships, and do a full risk assessment so that everyone is on the table, everything. 
Then using the NIST framework and other tools, develop a mitigation plan to address those risks and ensuring the steps taken reduce the vulnerabilities and provide staff with the tools to identify, protect from, respond to, and recover from any incidents. And this should include a plan to help both technical and non-technical employees understand risks to the organization and the part they play in the cybersecurity posture of the company. So it's critically important that staff know that cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility and they should be empowered with the information and tools they need to participate in protecting a company's assets. Companies often skip this important step, but in order to successfully mitigate risk, management needs to recognize that humans are the weakest link in the cybersecurity chain. So while malicious activity does account for some of that, negligence and ignorance are equally important factors. And to address that, companies need to educate employees on how to be good cybersecurity stewards. And the way you do that, the way you encourage employee buy-in to your security program is through education and communication. So finally, as part of the organization's overall preparedness and security posture, a disaster recovery business continuity plan should be included in the policy development to ensure any event, such as what we're going through right now, whether it's natural or man-made, has as minimal a negative impact as possible. And if there ever were an example of just how important that advanced preparedness posture is, it would be our current situation with the novel coronavirus. And as I said at the beginning, you know, we're in the midst of the coronavirus, shelter in place, work from home. And I can see companies small and large going back and revising or adding to their disaster recovery business continuity plan, especially around the AP area, because there are lots of companies that were abroad abruptly moved their AP teams to working from home that just had not prepared for that before. So I, I think this is a great time to talk about the NIST framework so that as they do go back or as they're still working from home, they can start looking at applying this framework. And then also when they go back, they can start putting those things into place. So when we're thinking about what policies and protocols to put in place before the disaster strikes, you asked earlier, like, how can uh, businesses protect themselves now that their employees are working from home? So again, rolling back time as if this is a perfect scenario. So some of the policies that they should put in place are um, policies like bring your own device. Um, they need to establish what devices can be used, how they will be used, what the company will do with the device, what the employees expected to do. There should also be acceptable use policies in place yeah. so that employees understand what's acceptable on the company network and what isn't. Uh, we mentioned the disaster recovery and business continuity plans. Those are critical. Um, but in, included in a, a disaster recovery and business continuity plan has to be a, a system for backing up the data, yeah. backing up and making sure that the data that is backed up is recoverable. So not only do you back it up consistently, but that you test it and make sure that when you need it, it's going to be there. And then for the ARAP departments, since they do tend to be one big group, yeah. all, all performing the same function, some of the things that uh, managers can put in place would be something like separation of duties right. um, or dual control or mandatory vacations, because this way it gives management an opportunity to oversee 
what's going on and make sure that any anomalies are identified without being intrusive. You don't want to yeah. be micromanaging your staff, but it's a, it would be really important to have something like that in place if your employees are working from home. Yeah. And I also think for those companies where the accounts payable function and or the accounts receivable function, because you're right, a, a lot of times it's all the same group where they weren't working from home in the past, they were working 100% within the office. I think now if they have disaster recovery or business continuity plans in place, then they're going to go back and revise those to at least allow those employees to work one or maybe two days per week or per month from home so that they can test their disaster recovery business continuity plan so they can make sure if it happens in the future, uh, the abrupt move for APNAR going to work from home will be much smoother than it was this time around. Right. I think a lot of businesses, or I should say, we know a lot of businesses were caught completely off guard and had no structure in place whatsoever to deal with this. And so now they're flying by the seat of their pants, trying to make sure. And of course, the cyber criminals are out there. Yep. And they're, they're having a field day, like you said, with the, the phishing, the phishing Mm -hmm. emails, that's been a problem for years. We all know it. Right. And even the best people, like Barbara Corcoran, you know, one of the best businesswomen in the country, she fell, you know, her company fell fell to one of those with a $400 million. For, I think it was 400,000. 400,000. Yeah, with that 400,000. Well, let's inflate that. it and make it sound really disastrous. <laughs> she does have, she probably had that much, but yeah. And yeah. yeah, and I remember seeing that in the news. She lost $400,000 to that. So, you know, no one is immune. And I think you made an important point that you need to make sure that you include and educate your employees so that they can be good cybersecurity stewards. So that education, that training is very important as well as putting in those internal controls because everyone can be distracted and they certainly are as we're in this current situation with the coronavirus and shelter in place and work from home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know you gave some references for each of the core functions, and I'll definitely put those into the show notes. But where can the listeners go to get more information on the NIST cybersecurity framework? Uh, Okay, so if they want more information about NIST, uh, it's a very simple website address. It's nist.gov. That's N-I-S-T dot G-O-V. Um, From there, they can peruse the website and find out uh, what it is they need. Yeah, and I will also add a link to the small business information security, the fundamentals that NIST calls a starter kit, and also the Computer Security Resources Center, which should be a great place to start. So where can they connect directly with you? And listeners can connect with me via LinkedIn. Okay. And I'll also put that in the show notes so they'll just be able to click and find you. So thanks, Kareem, for giving a great explanation of the NIST framework, as well as next steps to begin putting that framework into place. Great. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks a lot, Kareem. 
So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Kareen Jackman on the 80th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy.